0: If you got a Bible, would you take it, open it up or hold it up and get it in your hands if you got a Bible this morning. If you, if you don't, you might be new or, or you might be lazy. I don't know, one or two, but that's all right. We'll be, we'll be reading it to you. You can trust me or you can go to it yourself and check that I'm reading the truth here. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can go to the smartphone Bible as well. We're in John chapter 20. Easter Sunday morning is about the resurrection of Jesus. It's about the most momentous event in history AD BC surround Jesus my life was BC now I'm AD amen there's only two kinds of people on the earth I know that this world wants to break us up into all kinds of different ideologies and identities that's just not truth that's just darkness that's just confusion there's only two kinds of people on this planet those who know they're lost and those who know they're saved that's who that's who we are we are people who know we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ not saved by a church not saved by a preacher we're saved by the blood of the lamb and that blood still changes people's lives and this morning we're gonna read the most momentous event in human history verse 1 of John 20 now on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb so she ran and she told simon peter somebody say simon peter, simon peter. and then he says that she told the other disciple the one whom jesus loved somebody say the one whom jesus loved jesus. just turn to your neighbor and say uh, that might be me yeah 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 and she said to them and she said to them they have taken the lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him so peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb both of them were running together but john wants us to know that the other disciple outran peter what's up with that yeah yeah is, is john just bragging that uh, he's a little bit faster than peter Maybe Peter was uh, busy at the breakfast buffet in Jerusalem that day. He had a little bit of lethargy left over. But anyway, other disciples outran Peter, reached the tomb first, and stooping in to look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folding it up in a place by itself then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in quick reminder this is the disciple whom jesus loved the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed somebody say believed he saw and believed he saw and what believe this is the word of god let's let's pray together father speak to your people speak to those who are yet to be your people for we know Lord that they might feel like they are wandering through life but I know that's not true you brought them here today you ordained for this moment and I pray God that the words of my mouth will be pleasing in your sight the meditation of my heart every person's heart will be pleasing in your sight and father I pray that we will, as we always pray, for every week and we gather in this place and in all of our locations. That every single person, including myself, we will see Jesus, Him and Him only in His mighty name. We pray. Everybody said, amen. "Amen, amen." High five somebody next to you at all of our locations and just say, "He is risen," and have a seat. Amen. Well, it's Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday, and I would like to invite you to take out your notes. If you're in-house, they look like this, double-sided, which means it's going to be a long one. (laughs) So cancel your dinner reservation, okay? Uh, If you're not in-house, but you're online, or you came in-house, you don't have the notes physically, you can take out your smartphone and go to watershurch.guide, and we're going to talk about being loved. Oh, you can click on, sorry, you can click on today's message on that guide right there. It looks like that. There you go. So you can do that digitally as well, waterschurch.guide. Click on today's message. I wanna talk to you on the idea of being loved into resurrection life. This is the um, strangest Easter message I've ever preached and I I am just giving you a heads up. We're gonna do some research together. Uh, You didn't come here for homework, but you might leave here with homework. (laughs) And uh, I was praying all week that the Lord would change this message, but he didn't. So this is where we're going. If you don't like it, talk to God. He gave me a word for you. I I want to tell you what it looks like to know that you're, if you're in Christ, raised to life now. Resurrection is not a future event, it's a present reality for those who know that Jesus is alive he's alive now not just in the cosmic sphere ruling and reigning he's alive in me he's alive in those who claim his name who follow him who believe he died and rose again we are raised with christ ephesians chapter 3 says and we are seated with him in heavenly places in christ jesus can anybody say amen to that amen. it's good to know that resurrection doesn't have to be waited for we don't have to wait for it it's, it's here now it's a resurrection life now what does it look like though to be loved into resurrection life. John chapter 20 gives us some details of the resurrection moment. It it says that Mary showed up at the tomb first. Mary Magdalene, uh, seven demons had been cast out of her. She followed Jesus for, for these three years. She was totally touched and transformed by the power of Jesus. How many know that Jesus can cast out demons? How many know that we're seeing the rise of demonic activity in our world right now? The confusion of our children, the confusion of our educational system, the confusion in our colleges and universities, the division, the animosity between the racism and, and the trumped-up animosity in the political sphere. This is the work of Satan. My friends, you've got to know something. This world is doomed to destruction. You've got to reach out to Jesus now more than ever before because only he's going to get you through this darkness. Only he's going to one day come back and break through the sky and bring truth and righteousness to what you're seeing right now. Mary, seven demons were cast out of her. She goes early to the tomb. She goes early. Why? Because she's a woman. She can't wait. She's got to get there early. God bless the women who love Jesus in the house. If it wasn't for you, we would not have this place open today. I know it. Well, it'd be open, but it'd be messy. Come on, somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd be running around with scissors in our skivvies and not really caring. But because of you women things come together, praise the Lord. Well, that morning she shows up while it's still dark. She sees the stone's, stones been t- uh, rolled away and then she runs away and she tells Simon Peter and the disciple, the one, what? Jesus. Who Jesus loved. Three characters in the text. Mary Magdalene, Simon Peter, and who? John. The disciple whom Jesus loved is... Anybody? That's what I thought. I told you this was gonna be a weird Easter service. Some of you, you're gonna leave here with an aneurysm. I'm telling you right now, this is gonna be great for you Bible geeks, you Bible quiz aficionados, the people who love it on Jeopardy when you finally get the Bible category and can feel smart for 30, 30 minutes. This, this is your service. I always thought it was John, but I would actually suggest to you that it wasn't. And I want to give you a couple of reasons why it's not, then I'm going to give you a bunch of reasons why it might, might be somebody different, it might be somebody else that you know in the Bible. Um, number one reason why I don't think it's John is because John is writing this gospel, make no mistake about that. I believe that the gospels were compiled through the apostles to put together so that we would have a written and accurate testimony of those who walked with Jesus that he was who he said he was, and he did what he said he did and I do believe that they resource material from other people and other disciples. And, and Luke talks about that. He thoroughly resourced, he researched all the stories from those who walked with Jesus and then compiled his findings in his gospel. John did the same thing. And I believe that he got testimony from another disciple that is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I think that it would be highly arrogant if John was writing himself into the text as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Pre-Christ John Could do that. Pre-Christ, remember pre-Christ John, before he found Jesus, before he really knew Jesus, and he was following Jesus, but he wasn't really with Jesus, and he and his brother James, uh, they were always arguing about being on his right and on his left. They even got their mother in on the deal one time, got their mother to come to Jesus and say, can you please give my two boys the right hand and left hand of your kingdom? I mean, you have to be seriously prideful to do that. Pre-Christ John would have done. One time, John wanted to call down fire from heaven to consume Jesus's enemies just because they didn't welcome him into the village. Yes, I could get that from pre-Christ John, but this is saved Christ John. This is born again John. This is devout follower of Jesus John. I would highly doubt that he would refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Like me getting up here this morning and saying, hi, I'm Pastor Tim, the pastor whom Jesus loves. Husbands, just try that with your wives this afternoon when you start to bicker about where to go for dinner or, or that somebody made the reservations too little or too late or whatever it is, and you just, when she starts laying into you, just say, Honey, I am the husband whom Jesus loves. <laughs> See where that gets you. So that's number one. But number two, the term the disciple whom Jesus loved doesn't appear until the second half of the book of John. Why is it not there for 12 chapters? It only starts showing up in chapter 13. Why why not earlier? And and I'll I'll get back to this maybe later, but in John chapter 21, John refers to himself as the sons of Zebedee. We know his father was Zebedee, James was his brother, Zebedee, John. Zebedee had two sons, John, James, okay. He refers to the sons of Zebedee in John chapter 20, verse 21, verse seven. And then he refers to the disciple whom Jesus loved just a few verses later. Why the two designations for the same person? It doesn't make sense. So who is this guy, the disciple whom Jesus loved? And what does this have to do with Easter Sunday? Because this guy was at the tomb at the morning of Jesus' resurrection and the scripture says that he went into the tomb after Peter and he saw the cloths and he believed. Peter left, John, the, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who we think is John, went in, saw the cloths and believed. That's an interesting little notation in the text. So, who is it? Well, let's go back in John's Gospel to the second most well-known resurrection story in world history. The Bible records nine people were raised to life from the dead. The most famous is Jesus. Um, The most consequential is Jesus. But if I was to ask you, name one of the other eight people who were raised back to life from the dead, I bet you could only throw one name at me, Lazarus. And how does the story of Lazarus' resurrection begin? Let's back up in John's Gospel. We'll put it on the screen just so you don't have to violate with flipping through your Bible, but you're welcome to do so. It says in chapter 11, verse one, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a note to Jesus, and the note said, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And we know that story, don't we? That's a cool story. If you don't know that story, let me give you the rundown. They came with a note. Jesus, Lazarus, whom you love, is ill. You know Lazarus. He loves you. You love him. And uh, he's, he's sick. This is bad. Call the angels. No, call Jesus. Jesus waits for two more days. Then he makes the long two-day trek down to Bethany where Lazarus lives comes into the village and the scripture says that Martha runs out to meet him and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You're late. Has anybody ever felt like Jesus or God was late in your life? Well, welcome to the club. Martha, you were late if you had been here just a little bit earlier. You could have healed him. But Martha didn't know that the same God who can heal you is the same God who can and will raise you. And Jesus says to her, oh, Martha, he'll live again. Martha gets all theological. And she says, oh, I know. I know about the resurrection, Jesus. I know about that. He says, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection. And I am the life. He who believes on me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And he who believes on me and lives shall never die. And uh, Martha says, okay, I get it. Even now, whatever you ask, God will do. Jesus shows up at the tomb. Everybody's weeping. Everybody's mourning. It's a funeral service. The tomb is rolled. In front of Lazarus' tomb, Jesus walks up, says, roll the stone away. And I love Martha's response. Martha speaks up. She says, Lord, it's been four days. Um, it smells. <laughs> Read it in the King James. It's, it's so great. It's just, Lord, by now, he stinketh. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. Just roll it away. I'll take care of the smell, too. Amen? And so they roll the stone away. Powerful moment. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man rises and comes out of the grave. And the scripture gives us a little note about this moment before Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. That when he stands in front of the tomb and everybody's weeping, John eleven thirty five 35 says, Jesus wept. By the way, if you ever want to beat, if you're ever beating yourself up over not memorizing any of the Bible, there's your verse right there. <laughs> I got one verse down. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept very next verse John eleven thirty six. so the Jews said see how he what loved him. loved him if you're not following by now I am going to submit to you that Lazarus not John was the disciple whom Jesus loved stay with me Bible scholars and if you've got more questions after this message I've got a great YouTube channel for you, youtube.com slash TimHatchLife. Plug, ding, like, and subscribe. I've got a 10-question show with you on Thursday at lunch, and you're welcome to throw back any questions at me, but I've studied this all week, and I am more convinced now than ever before that Lazarus was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And when Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, here's what the text says about Lazarus' resurrection moment. The man who had come out, John 11:44. the man who had died and came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with the cloth. That sounds familiar. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Put yourself in the, the position of Lazarus. I know it's hard to imagine that you're dead, but I mean, you, one moment you're coughing and hacking your way into the next life and the next moment you're in heaven with the Father and suddenly you hear a voice out of nowhere no one else in heaven hears it. You recognize the voice. Uh, that's Jesus. I know. And all you're hearing in heaven Lazarus, come out. And your first response if you're in heaven, if you're Lazarus, is like, no thanks. I'm good. Like some of you are like, I wonder if my grandma's up in heaven watching me. She's not. She's in absolute bliss. And she's hoping that you make a decision to follow Jesus so that you can be there with her don't be stupid okay see grandma again bow the knee to jesus okay but i guarantee you that she is somewhere skiing on the slopes of mount heaven because she was so old and rickety at the end of her life she missed those days okay she's not watching you just letting you know anyway (laughs) lazarus here come out he has to leave everything come back and and the first thing that you see is what a blood-draped cloth over your face, linen, and you just kind of like kind of like get up off of the rock slab and kind of. Scripture says he was all bound up, and so he just kind of like hopping out of the tomb. And I mean, I just this is how I see it. And Jesus is like, "Can somebody give this boy a hand? Untie him and let him go." And the first man, the most important, the second most important—sorry, the second most important resurrection in all of Scripture, maybe in all of history—is the resurrection of Lazarus. And it teaches us something, and it's why I believe he's the disciple whom Jesus loved, because he's a picture of how God is going to raise you. Do you know why he's going to raise you? Because he loves you. Some of you think, he's going to raise me because I'm a good person. No. Uh, you're not a good person without God. And you don't become a good person in your own righteousness. you become a good person because your heart has been changed by Jesus. And... Um, There's a lot of good people that are gonna be in hell. Just letting you know, there's gonna be a lot of people in hell. They're gonna be like, well, I thought I was a good person. You're not good in yourself. Paul the apostle said, whatever I had going for me in my terms of goodness, I consider lost compared to the knowledge of Jesus Christ who gave me a gift righteousness from God, from heaven. And some of you, that takes a little bit of time to process. So I'll just leave you with that today. But anyway, here's the reality. The reason why God is gonna raise you is because he loves you. Think about that for a moment. So write this down so I know you're getting it. Resurrection morning is not just about Jesus' resurrection. It's about the resurrection life of every person Jesus loves. We love because he first loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed on him should not perish but have everlasting life. It all begins. Your life begins when you realize you're loved by God. Your hope in the next life begins when you realize that God is not angry at you. He died to save you. That's the scriptural truth. That's the gospel message. If you think God's angry and hateful at you, it's because you went to the wrong church growing up like I did, where everything you liked doing was sinful, and they made you feel like an outcast in and in a, in a, in the worst sinner on the world because you didn't live exactly as they wanted to live. No, the gospel message is not God's angry with you. God's, the gospel message is that God loves the world and has given his son to die for the world to bring the world back to him but there's a condition you got to believe on jesus and if you know jesus you got to know that the most fundamental reality of your life is that you are loved that's why i believe that lazarus becomes the disciple whom jesus left i already told you that he, then the term the disciple whom Jesus loved doesn't even show up in John's text until after Je- Lazarus' resurrection. Suddenly now there's this disciple whom Jesus loved. So let's go to three realities of the resurrected life from Lazarus if he is, in fact, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Write this down, point number one. Resurrection life is close to Jesus in the midst of confusion. After, re- after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, there's a couple of, there's only one place that you see him. Close to Jesus. To be raised with Christ is to love Christ. To know the love of Christ is to love Christ back. And, and this is what we see in Lazarus' life because the very next scene in John's gospel, John chapter 11, Lazarus is raised. John chapter 12, there's a dinner thrown in Jesus' honor given at Lazarus' home. The home of mary and martha and it says this in john 12 too. so they gave a dinner for him there martha served as usual and lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him why because he knew that jesus loved him and jesus raised him and if you're a christian you want to be close to jesus that's what it means to be a Christian. Some of you wonder, am I really a Christian? Well, here's the, here's the only answer that you got to give. Do you want to be closer to Jesus now than you've ever been before in your life? When you wander from him, do you feel it? When you sin against him, do you hate it? Those are the simple answer, Those are the simple questions you can ask. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you know that, that there's a God who loves you and there's a God who... Um, owns you, and there's a God who is drawing you close, and you want to be close to Jesus. This is the time, ladies and gentlemen, by the way, in American history, in world history, this is the time for people who love Jesus not to draw back from Jesus, but to get closer to him than ever before in your life. Husbands, you want to bring your wives and you closer to Jesus. Wives, you want to be praying for your husbands to come closer to Jesus. Parents, you want to bring your kids to church and raise them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord because now more than ever before in confusing times, we need to be close to the one who holds us in his hand. Get closer to Jesus. That's what resurrection life is about, is about being closer to Jesus. Now the next time... That the scripture says somebody was reclining at table with Jesus in John's gospel, ironically, is in John chapter 13, verse 23. And it says one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table with Jesus' side. Now, this is the Last Supper. And some of you are like, wait, whoa, stop. There it is. Your theory falls apart on the merits because the Last Supper was just Jesus and his 12 disciples. And we know that Lazarus wasn't one of them. Okay, where did you learn that only the 12 were at the Last Supper? Because the Bible doesn't say that. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci painted it, but the Bible doesn't say that. Was it Leonardo da Vinci or Michelangelo? One of those guys painted it. (laughs) The Last Supper. And the Bible doesn't say it. In fact, I'm gonna give you biblical proof now that there was more than twelve at the Last Supper. Are you ready? Mark chapter 14. This is also Mark's, this is Mark's account of the Last Supper. As they were reclining at table, verse 18, and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. Okay, so it's, who is it? It's somebody who's eating with Jesus. They began to be sorrowful as you would and I would, and they used, and they said, and they and to say to him one after another, Is it I? So Let's just imagine that there's a bunch of people eating with Jesus and he's talking and, and everybody's having a good time. He's got an announcement to make. Um, one of you is going to betray me. And everybody's like, wait, whoa, whoa. who? Wait, wait. And look at it. Is it me? 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 And then look at that, the next verse. Verse 20. He said to them, It is one of the twelve. Now, friends, um, Jesus is not prone to clarify what does not need to be clarified. Why would he need to qualify it with being one of the 12 if there was only the 12 with him? My my hypothesis is Lazarus is there, and he's not one of the 12. And if you're one of the 12, you got questions, because now Jesus has narrowed it down to not just somebody who's eating with him, but one of the 12 back to john's gospel let's look at what peter does peter always thinking always talking but this time doesn't want to talk to jesus directly and it says in john chapter 13 we already read this verse one of his disciples whom jesus loved was reclining at table at jesus side. so verse 24 simon peter motioned to him to ask jesus of whom he was speaking here's a simple question if jesus has just told you One of the 12 is going to to betray him. One of the 12 is going to deceitfully lie and hand him over to the authorities. Peter would have to be brain dead to pick another one of the 12 to ask who it was. How do you know that you didn't just pick the betrayer? So I'm, I'm suggesting to you that Lazarus was there and he was the guy that Peter tapped on and said, since you're not one of the 12, tell me which one of us it is and the point that I'm all making here is not just to prove this but to teach you that when you have resurrection life in you you have a heart that wants to be close to Jesus in the midst of confusing times because that's what's going to get you through that's what's going to get you through this darkness in our present world that's when it, that's what going to get you through the the threat of divorce over your family that's what's going to get you through the loss of your spouse or the loss of your father or the loss of someone that you love when life is confusing get closer to jesus that's what lazarus does here jesus has just dropped an atomic bomb on their fellowship someone's going to break ranks and hate on me and and there's Lazarus closer than ever before. That's what's gonna get you through the dark seasons of your life. What did David say? David who beat Goliath David who chased Philistines he said though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff comfort me what made David a great man David was a great man not because David was a great man but because he stayed next to a great shepherd and the shepherd empowered him in the dark seasons of his life and the same is true for you The same is true in my life. Here's my point. When life is confusing, write it down. When life is confusing, God is calling me to walk closer to Jesus. That's why he's letting you go through what you're going through so that you can draw closer to him. Because he's got the answer for you. Some of you, you got questions about faith. you got questions about life. You don't understand things in the Bible. There's confusion there. I get it. I've been there I've got questions still to this day you're always going to have some questions but don't let the questions push you back let the questions draw you in you got two responses possible for every question of life you can just deny God or you can ask God and I think that is better by the way we have a class coming up called Alpha And if you're here at any of our locations today, and you don't know Jesus fully, or you are on the fence about this whole thing called Christianity, and you just came to Easter Sunday because some friend bugged you to death until you finally caved, and this is national. If you're going to go to church any day, go today, day. Why don't you look into this class? It's called Alpha. We will feed you free of charge, and we will allow you to ask any question that you might have about faith in Jesus Christ. We run it twice a year. This is your chance. It's starting, I think, next week, if I'm not mistaken. Sometime next week. Nobody's here to give me any heads up about that. It's sometime soon. <laughs> waterschurch.org alpha. When life is confusing, draw closer to Jesus. And that's what Lazarus does. Number, number two, resurrection life is confident when the world comes against me. Do you know what it, what it looks like to have Jesus in your life? It looks like this chaos is all over the world and and darkness is increasing but you're not caught off guard you're not you're not falling apart you're not giving up hope you know that the one who holds the world holds you in the palm of his hand he's not going to let you go and what i think this is why i think it's important to make the estimation that lazarus is the disciple whom jesus loved because Lazarus or this disciple whom Jesus loved as Jesus' darkest moment of life comes upon him that is the betrayal by Judas the arrest by the authorities uh, the the, the, uh, police the false and trumped up charges on him by the authorities and then his brutal beating and torture and death on a cross all that dark season of Jesus' life and even hanging on the cross Lazarus is there close to jesus the whole time and listen not afraid not afraid so let me just show you what happens and and this is what happens to lazarus remember lazarus has come back to life again at the words of jesus and it says in john chapter 12 verse 9 when a large crowd of the jews learned that jesus was there they came not only on account of him but also to see who Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So Lazarus is like a walking billboard for Jesus' popularity. Uh, You you think he can't do anything? Uh, Look at me. I mean, this is a walking advertisement. But listen to what happens to poor Lazarus. It puts a target on his back because it says in the next verse, so the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Hey, sometimes being a Christian brings more problems, not less. Sometimes when you follow Christ, you're going to get more hate, not less. Lazarus is in the crosshairs because the rulers who are after Jesus know that they can't argue with Jesus raising people from the dead. So let's kill that guy too. And if you're Lazarus, you know, you're thinking, okay, wait a second. They hate me because of Jesus and I get that. But, but what we see in Lazarus is that he never leaves Jesus aside as a disciple whom Jesus loved. They come, they arrest Jesus after the Last Supper. Scripture says all the disciples left, but Peter, John chapter 18, verse 15, Peter followed Jesus and so did what? Another disciple, it doesn't say John. Another disciple followed Jesus as they arrested and brought him away. This is incredible. Then they show up at the high priest's house. I've been there, by the way, in Jerusalem, Caiaphas' house, and it says in verse 15, since that disciple was known to the high priest that disciple not john doesn't say that that disciple was known to the high priest he entered with jesus into the courtyard of the high priest but peter stood outside the door so the other disciple who i am suggesting is lazarus was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watching the door and brought peter in now now here's more evidence that i think is lazarus um john is from galilee up in the north where peter is from Lazarus is from Bethany, way down in the south, right outside of Jerusalem, where the high priests and the religious establishment all lived and worked. Who would have a better opportunity of knowing the high priest? Somebody who was from the other side of the country or somebody who was right next door in Bethany? And then further evidence in the very next verse, in verse 17, this famous moment, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you're not also one of this man's disciple, are you? He said, I am not. Matthew's gospel tells us the reason why that girl thought Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. Anybody know what the reason was? His accent. Scripture says that you talk, you talk like him. You talk like a Galilean. Now, how many know that accents let people know where you're from? Boston. Anybody having steamers for Easter? Anybody? Huh? One thing's for sure, we got churches in the north, we got churches in the south. The churches in the south do not sound like you. And, And people know you're from Boston, yeah? People know you're from New England or from Providence. People know it. So my question is, if they asked Peter about his accent, and he's from Galilee, why, if it's John, wouldn't they have noticed an accent in John? Because it wasn't John. He didn't have an accent because he was from the south, next to Jerusalem. I'm just throwing some evidence out there. This is incredible, but it's important for Easter Sunday. And then finally, Jesus is followed by Lazarus, right into the court of high priest, He's not, he's not scared when Jesus is arrested. He's not scared when Jesus is tried. He's not even scared when Jesus is hanging on the cross. Because the scripture says in John chapter 19, again, remember, it never says John. It says when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his, took her into his home. Now, some of you longtime Christians are like, Pastor, you've gone too far. Now you've really crossed the line with this whole not being John nonsense. It has to be John. Who told you that? Who told you that Mary went to live with John? There is no evidence. Do you know what we do know from historians, church history? We do know that after Mary left Jerusalem after the death and resurrection of Jesus, do you know where she was found for three years of her life? Bethany, where Lazarus lived. And by the way, didn't Jesus tell the disciples after he rose again, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation? It'd be really rude of Jesus to say to John, go everywhere all the time, telling everybody about me. And by the way, take care of mom. That'd be kind of hard to take care of Jesus' mom and go all over the world and preach the gospel. You do know that history tells us that John was boiled in oil and survived. He was also exiled to the island of Patmos alone because they didn't know what to do with this guy. It'd be hard to take care of Jesus' mother when you're in an institutional island prison. And Jesus knew it was all coming down the pike for him. I'm telling you, that it is important that we understand that the disciple whom Jesus loved was standing at the cross next to Jesus and was unafraid in the midst of Jesus's darkest hour as he watched him arrested, hauled away, beaten, the thorn crown smashed into his head, his beard pulled out, mocked, criticized, persecuted, tortured, and hung on a bloody cross and left to die. And the whole time, Lazarus is unafraid to be near Jesus. Do you know why? Because once you've been raised from the dead by Jesus it's impossible to scare you it's impossible to give you any sense of fear in life what can you throw at somebody who knows that Jesus can raise them back to life again And if there's something the church needs to get back to, it's a sense of fearlessness in an age of fear and divisiveness. It's a sense to know that nothing on this earth can separate us from the love of God. That includes COVID-19. That includes the Ukraine war. That includes nuclear weapons. That includes the demons of hell. That includes the angels of heaven. Nothing of all creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You've got to have confidence if you're going to be in this movement because it's not safe and the world will hate you and people will disown you and they will criticize you and there's a good chance our government might be soon coming for us but we will stand strong because we know that he's the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the first and the last. He's the resurrection and the life. You can't scare somebody that's been raised from the dead. And here's why I mean it's so important that you get the fact that resurrection life is a reality now and not one that's to come. Because scripture says you're already raised. If you're in Christ, you're already raised because you're already dead. Romans chapter seven, verse four. Likewise, my brothers, you also have what? Died. Christians are dead. Dead to their old ways, dead to their old life, dead to who they were before Jesus found them. Dead to the law. Death to the law, what does that mean? It means that you do not please God by obeying the law. You please God from the heart because he's put the law in there. The true law that he wants us to live by. And, he's been, and, and, and you've been put to death uh, to the law so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. It's not religion. It's living from the relationship that God has put in your heart between you and Jesus. Colossians chapter three says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you died. You ever think about this, Christian, you died already. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Somebody needs to hear this, that in your darkest moment, you understand that you're only one trumpet sound away. You're only one heaven shout away. You're only one twinkling of an eye away from it all being finished. That is our hope as God's resurrected people now. Um, This is for free. (laughs) For anyone still doubting, it might be Lazarus. um, John chapter 21 has nothing to do with the notes or the message, but... John chapter 21, uh, Jesus makes breakfast for the disciples. This is eight days after the resurrection. They go fishing, Jesus is on the shore making breakfast. They're fishing. The disciple whom Jesus loved is in the boat with Peter. He says, hey, it's the Lord. Peter jumps into the water, swims to shore, then the disciple whom Jesus loved comes to shore as well. Peter is restored back to fellowship. There's a three question uh, pop quiz for Peter. Peter, do you love me? Same question all three times. Peter says, yes, you know I love you. Well, then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Well, yes, Lord, you know I love you. I just said it. Uh, Well, then tend my lambs. Well, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You've asked me three times. I love you. Well, then tend my lambs. Then they start walking, and and Jesus says, because the time's coming, Peter, that somebody's going to take you by the hand and lead you where you do not want to go. And he was speaking about his death. And so Peter hears about his death, and he looks back, and he sees the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's what it doesn't say. He says he saw John. He saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he said, uh, well, Jesus, what about that guy? And Jesus says, if I want him to remain until I come again, what is that to you? You follow me. And the scripture says, so a rumor started amongst the disciples that that disciple would not die. Let me just ask you, who of those who followed Jesus would be most opportune to be the object of a rumor that he wouldn't die until Jesus came back again? other than the guy who had already died and came back to life again. That was for free. (laughs) Point number three, resurrection life is convinced on the evidence that Jesus died and lives. Convinced on the evidence. The evidence, there's evidence, friend. There's evidence that this movement is real. I've already said BCAD. It's not surrounding Muhammad, it's not surrounding Buddha, it's surrounding Jesus. Every time some progressive, secular, atheistic university professor writes the date on the chalkboard, he's acknowledging that Jesus Christ divided history. And all of history points to the flourishing of human lives where Christianity was propagated the freedoms that our country right now is exploiting for sexual morality and sensual gratifications, those freedoms were provided by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the scriptures. And if you want any proof, just go visit a Muslim country sometime and see how free you feel. My point is history bears witness to the evidence of Jesus Christ being the one he said he was. But that's not what our text says, does it? Let's go back to the original text that we talked about in John chapter 20. What happened? Peter gets there after the disciple whom Jesus loved outran him. By the way, who would run faster to a tomb of a dead man than a guy who had been previously dead? And Peter comes and he goes into the tomb and he saw the what? What did Peter see? The tomb wasn't empty. We say empty tomb. It wasn't empty. There were some cloths lying there, wasn't there? Jesus left the cloths there. Why not? Why? Why didn't he just pack them up and bring them with him? He wanted to leave evidence that they might believe. And it says, and the face cloth, remember Lazarus had that on him, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying there with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, that is the disciple whom Jesus loved, which I am submitting to you as Lazarus, went in, he saw, what did he see? What did he see? It's on the screen. The cloths the linen cloths and the napkin he saw and believed who would make more sense to believe linen cloths meant jesus was alive again other than somebody who had already been wrapped in linen cloths and was alive again so ladies and gentlemen let me do a little bit of science with you now since i have already made this message the strangest easter message i've ever preached in my life the most Studied archaeological artifact in history is the Shroud of Turin. And some of you are like, what? This is what they perceived to be or believed to be the burial cloth of Jesus. It's housed in a cathedral in Turin, Italy to this day. He was in the possession of a nobleman in the 1200s who had been married into a family of a commander of the Crusades army in the 1100s. And in 19, I'm sorry, let me back up. In 1898, hanging in the house of a nobleman in France, an Italian photographer was invited to take a picture of that cloth for his wealthy guests, wealthy hosts. This was at the dawn of the new century. This was when photography was becoming a thing. We take photography for granted, and some of you don't remember this, but before there were these, there was something called a photography photography, process where you would take the image and you would put it in a dark room and produce the image over time anybody remember anybody ancient and remember those times right well in 1898 this was emerging technology the picture was taken by secundo pio an amateur italian photographer he put it in his dark room put it in the the liquid necessary to produce the image and it came out with the negative image of the shot the first negative image was produced in 1898 that's what it looks like 1898. You see the f- nail marks in the hands. You see the blood up on the upper right of this body, but facing you is in the left where Jesus was pierced. You see the nail marks in his legs. You see the whippings and the scourging all up and down his legs and across his body. By the way, that image, they have researched that image. A couple of things. In 1988, science carbon dated that shroud and said it's a forgery because it's only carbon dated to the 1200s but their carbon dating process has already been scrutinized by scientists and even some of the scientists involved in carbon dating have admitted that there was false is a false result because of some of the processes and some of the contamination of the samples of the shroud that they used so for about 30 years this shroud was considered a fake a forgery, But they have a problem. Even if it's a forgery, how's the, how does the image get on the shroud? And listen, you got to look at it like this. Jesus's body is laid in the tomb and the shroud covered to the front and went all the way up over his head and covered the back. It's a 14-foot-long piece of cloth. And the image of the man in the shroud is only on the one side of the fibers. And the image is so razor-thin that is 1/120th of a strand of hair how, if it's a forgery how did some guy in the 1200s do that and they've got no brush strokes and there's no paint dabs and i could go on and on and on about the evidence because i forced my wife to watch three documentaries this week that's the life of a pastor's family on holy week ladies and gentlemen And new research has found that deposits from limestone in the very area where they believe Jesus was crucified are also on the shroud. Limestone, that is resident only in that area of southern Israel. And they also found pollen fragments on the shroud that only show up from March to May in southern Israel in Jerusalem still to this day. And on top of that, a new emerging technology, radio-active UV technology, radio, uh, UV technology has taken images of the Shroud and produced these results. Um, they found that the power necessary to create this image on a garment without scorching it would require 34,000 billion watts of radio radiation. 34,000 billion watts of radiation to produce that image. Friends, that's more power than we can produce with any instrumentality on the earth right now. And you're going to tell me that some dude in the 1200s did it when we can't even do it now? And we don't even have the power to do it now? Good news. We don't need the power to put the image on the garment because God has the power to put the image on the garment. And, And not only this, this is so phenomenal. This is so phenomenal. They have determined that because of the image on both the both sides of Jesus' body, his back and his front, are on the one side of the garment, is of the shroud, that the light radiation power that emitted to create the image came from inside the body of the person that was wrapped in it. And further scientific study that just came out about 10 months ago has determined that the, that the image on the shroud is a strodo, stroboscopic image. You know what a stroboscopic image is? It's that kind of image. When you're taking an image of somebody playing a sport, somebody in movement, and you take several images in succession of rapid movement, they say that that's the image on the Shroud of Turin. It's a stroboscopic image, which means that when the image was taken, the body wasn't, in, the body wasn't still, the body was in motion. The reason why the body was in motion is because he was coming back to life again, and he lives forever. And what I'm telling you today, is that Jesus is alive he's alive forevermore and the image tells us and the gospels tell us and the lives changed tell us and history tells us that this faith is the faith once for all delivered to the world to know that Jesus brings